You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Media Group podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Matt Swift is the serial entrepreneur behind Big Grove Brewery and many other beloved Corridor restaurants, including 30 Hop, Pullman, St. Birch Tavern, Iowa Athletic Club, Red's Ale House, and many more. I talked to Matt about his personal formula for success in the restaurant industry, why identifying a need is key to building a successful business, and how segmentation allows for him and his partners to oversee so many projects. Matt also shares the tools he uses to prioritize his tasks and actions, his systems for identifying issues in his company's workflows, and what the future holds for Matt, Big Grove, and the craft beer industry. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Well, Matt, thanks a lot for taking the time. We're obviously, you know, longtime buddies, grew up together and business partners in a bunch of different ventures. So we wanted to have you on our real success conversation for a long time. Everybody in, in the Eastern Iowa area certainly knows of many of your uh, restaurants and business ventures, all the great ones, the original, the OGs from Sluggers to Reds to your downtown operations in Pullman and St. Birch, and of course the the big dog, the granddaddy of them all, Big Grove, um, which we'll spend a lot of time talking about that operation and your goals and aspirations over there. But um, I think when, what I know people talk about you and the different ventures, there's so many different things going on. I think an interesting place to start is, you know, when Matt wakes up in the morning, what's, how do you, how do you organize your day? I mean, you've got, you know, literally uh, a dozen or so businesses and restaurants and various other things happening. What is a, a typical day look like in your world and how do you organize it in a way that allows for success? Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's, uh, it's always a battle. I don't know. You're trying to figure out what to do every day, but we've done a really good job of segmenting our, our business units and uh, I have a ton of business partners. And so everybody kind of plays their role, does what they need to do. So that helps out a ton. And that, that's been more of a recent development before it was everybody kind of did a little bit of everything. And I think that we realized that's probably not sustainable for growth. So we've, uh, we've changed the way we approach that and we, we've uh, evolved, I guess. Um, so now we have a group that runs the 30 hop, uh, tribute athletic club Blackstone side of things and then we have a group that runs the Big Grove uh, Birch Pullman Reds side of things and that's been working really well and uh, as we you know as I wake up in the morning I guess I wake up and wait for Nate's first text at six in the morning and then <laughs> always uh, early yeah. and then my assistant Paige jumps in with one but no I just try to game plan my day and try to plan the, the top three to five things that I want to get done and I would say, you know, one out of three days, I actually get all five things done and just trying to move things forward as much as I can and trying to keep on the big stuff and stay away from the little stuff. But that's easier said than done. We can get in a little bit more of just sort of your background and how you got into the hospitality restaurant industry. But I think I want to maybe dive a little bit more granular here out of the beginning to kind of piggyback off that first question. You've been, I think, kind of one of the earlier proponents in, in local corridor business area in eastern Iowa on the EOS sort of traction method as a way to... Sure organize business management towards success and create alignment throughout your organization. And now I know there's a lot of other 
businesses that have picked that up. It's really gained a lot of steam that some of the local economic development arms are, you know, running workshops on it and those sort of things. Talk a bit about EOS and traction, what it is, what, what does it mean to you and, you know, some of the, the key learnings and what it's allowed for you and your businesses to do. Yeah, I think traction has been a game changer for us. Uh, we was shown the book by my partner, Dan Bloom, a long time ago, uh, didn't really do anything. And then all of a sudden my buddy Layton's like, hey, I work with that. And <laughs> Layton Smith at Bergen KDV and he jumped in and uh, he joined us in our journey at Big Grove is where we first implemented uh, traction. And immediately we saw a complete difference uh, in how we, we performed, along with what I told, just mentioned earlier. I mean, just having the segments that we needed to do to, to grow our company. But traction uh, in my the quick synopsis of it it's a get stuff done list and it keeps you pointed in the right direction at all times i think when you're a business owner or a business leader you're going to find that uh, you get a lot of things thrown your way every day and it can can push you way off track really fast and i've done it a million times we've all done it and what traction says is hey are these our priorities is this what we're trying to accomplish right now this moment this quarter this year and if it doesn't align then you should probably figure out something either get rid of it or have somebody else take care of it and I think that that seems really simple at service level but when you boil it down to a business that has a hundred parts it really helps you because you can keep aligned on your goals and then you're measuring those goals and Leighton always jokes around he's like be careful what you write on that paper in January because we know we're gonna make it true and I would say that that was not the case before <laughs> We had a lot of grand ideas, but not all of it came true because we get distracted, right? You, you chase the, the new squirrel or whatever else is going on. And I think that we've had a lot of breakthroughs with traction. And I think that it's also helped, you know, not just the top level, but levels below because we, were, we weren't clear about the, the goals for them as well. And I think that as soon as the, the whole company adapted, adopted the system, it just became clear on what our expectations were. And I think that the cadence of the meetings, right? Meetings can get out of control. And all of a sudden, a manager's in five meetings a week, and what's, where's the productivity there? Like, how's that really, how's that adding value to the customer experience or to my team's experience? And so, you know, trimmed it down, and we just realized how powerful a focused amount of time can be. Yeah, meetings, we talk a bit about it on the podcast, but just a, running a successful meeting, I think that's one of the, certainly the top three benefits of traction in EOS. It's yeah. like an actual meeting and how they're run just run us through quick you know what does a attraction meeting look like at big grove who's all in the room yeah how long does it last what's the agenda look like because we've all been in those meetings in different businesses where all of a sudden you look at your watch and you're three hours into it and you you're like what the hell did i accomplish what are we talking about you're talking in circles but traction creates a great system and process for running those meetings so take us behind the scenes at, at big grove sure. what is a weekly traction meeting look like? Yeah, so our weekly meeting consists like, I'll just do the top level meeting They're called leadership team. That is uh, everybody who runs a business unit, which in our situation would be culinary sales, production of beer, uh, CEO, CEOO, which is the integrator and visionary. I play the visionary role in the company. Um, and then it, it's uh, HR and a couple other departments, but you get the idea. Everybody that basically controls what's happening in the business. Um, and that, that's a group of seven people. And that, that meeting is, uh, they do a good job of breaking the ice. So it's a little bit of personal business best for the week. How's it going? Kind of keep everybody connected. Moves right into a scorecard, which is uh, business metrics to run your business on. Uh, they give you the example of if you're on a desert island and you needed to know five to 10 numbers that are going to tell you if your business is performing well, then take a look at that. And so they five minutes yeah. on that and that's like on or off track. So it doesn't let you go into all the, the minutia of, well, here's the 100, 100 words why it's not working or something. It's like, no, it's off track. Okay, do we need to talk about it? Yes or no. 
And then it just it pushes you down the line, right? And then we go right into rocks. And rocks, if you're not familiar with traction, is the quarterly goal that everybody has. So everybody's going to take a rock at the at the quarterly meeting, and then we check in on those weekly to make sure that we're progressing towards the goal. Like I said, it focuses you on the future and focuses you towards your goal. It's a get stuff done system. And then we have a to-dos from the week before. We check in on that. And like all this sounds simple, right? <laughs> it all sounds yeah. simple, but it's organized and it's the same every week. Uh, and then to-dos lead to, to what I would call headlines and issues. And we then we rank. So if there's 10 things that are on the, on the issues list, we'll call it, you know, it could be as simple as our labor is too high uh, as a percentage, or it could be as complicated as we need to dissect a beer and rebuild it or something. And we'll rank those based on importance. And then we spend a lot of time identifying what the issue is. And I think that that's probably the, the step that most companies miss. And then we, we still miss on it a lot too. But really identifying what the real problem is, right? You could spend a half an hour talking about something and not actually identify what the issue is. It's like, well, is the issue that we're, we're, we're high labor? Or is the issue we're not scheduling right? What is the actual issue? And then once you identify that, uh, it, it just makes it a lot easier. And they're saying up to 80% of your time could be spent just identifying the issue when everybody wants to go right to solve. So it kind of it has a lot of coaching involved in the system, and it brings you right down to the end when you conclude. But it's a 90-minute meeting. Uh, we try to do it earlier in the week so that we have time to adapt throughout the week and uh, adjust anything we need to adjust. But it's pretty tight. It's pretty succinct. Once you get into it, it's it really just, like I said, gets stuff done. Yeah, that's great. And I think one of the fun things uh, observing Big Grove over time, I want to get into a little bit of the origin story of the of the brewery and what it was. Is, I mean, I'm the issues have, have changed, right? As the, as the business has scaled, give us some examples of, you know, think back when the, you know, Big Grove had just started up in Solon, what would have been one of the issues, you know, a good example of an issue at the forefront of your business then at the beginning and give us an example of you know, what's a pretty common issue today for Big Grove and how, how have those changed as the business has grown and scaled? Yeah, I mean, I think a previous issue, like when we first opened Big Grove, an example, this is in Solon, so it's a restaurant of, just under 200 seats when the patios open. And, and I think the big issues back then were how long is our food taking? You know, how are we getting our customers the food fast enough? Is our computer system working properly to, you know, literally bring the orders in? Uh, you know, it, timing and experiential stuff, similar like to what you'd experience in a restaurant. Nothing with supply chain, nothing with um, all the stuff we see today. I would say now uh, our, our problems are much more along like supply chain, uh, inventory management, uh, real manufacturing issues. And I would say that, you know, when you go back to what Big Grove was, Big Grove was a restaurant that had a small brew pub on the back, a little brewery in the back. And now it's a, it's a manufacturing facility that has a massive restaurant tap room. And the manufacturing facility has been a, it's been a complete game changer for us. And I'm really lucky that I have so many competent people on our team that are just really good at what they do. But you're talking about uh, carrying, you know, a million dollars of inventory. Yeah, you know, I would say we're used to carrying twenty thousand dollars of inventory, so it's just a complete scale difference, and it makes you open your eyes to some of the challenges these larger manufacturers have, and then the impact on your on your bottom line, and much more focused on uh, on our costs than we used to be. I mean, we were always focused, but just different game, different level. So, I would say the problems are very similar, but at, at the same time, the scale is completely different, and I think that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and there's always no shortage of problems to be solved as a small business owner, as, as, for sure. as we all know, and the listeners out there that, that have their own business or involved with business can 
attest to as well. Take me back. You know, your mom was the you know owner proprietor of Sluggers, a famous restaurant on the Corville Strip. There, I know you grew up in and around the business. I mean, when you first decided to jump into the hospitality restaurant business full time, you know, did you set out and have any big goals for yourself, or was it, uh, hey, you just wanted to make a living doing it, or did you were you always had that sort of entrepreneurial grow, grow, grow sort of uh, mentality towards it? Well, I, I think that's that's a great question. My mom is, uh, she's a, I don't know, she's a pioneer in some ways. She was one of the first female restaurateurs in the area. She uh, she was one of the first sports bars in the area, especially in Corville, and it, it took off, did really well. And I jumped in the business um, with her, uh, kind of, you know, the typical restaurant story from the grease trap to the to the dishwashing, to the busing, to the to the to the bartending, yeah, managing, all the, right? <laughs> all the, all the yeah, yeah, all the stuff. beautiful so, stuff. Yeah, so you see all the things, and then uh, yeah. So when I took over for her, um, I had, did not have any intention of of taking it to the next level. I thought maybe we could do another place, and hopefully that was successful. And I think that's one of the things that maybe you know, if you look back, like what would you've done differently? You would have probably figured out how to how to create that that company that could scale out. But we really jumped into it and uh, jumped into deal by deal by deal. And it was never the intention. I think that we just realized, hey, we got a formula that's working here. And there's a lot of opportunity. We felt like there was a lot of opportunity in our community and people wanted more out of the hospitality industry. It's not a slight anybody that was there, but it it was just time for a little bit more of a, a change. And we, we pushed on that hard. And I think I was really lucky to have great partners. I, I don't think any of my deals have the same partnerships. So it's one of those things we're working on streamlining, but it, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Go back to that word formula, if you could. Well, I mean, you've you've had a, obviously a great track record of successful businesses and restaurants that have really kind of stood the test of time. In my mind, that's really kind of the 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 telling sign of a successful business, and, and probably more so in the restaurant world, where a lot of them tend to come and go. Not a lot, but a, a good chunk of them tend to come and go. But you've had multiple that have you know are going on a decade plus of being in existence. What is that formula? If you were to boil it down, what are, you know, if you were to m- mention kind of the top three things that go into having a, a long-standing restaurant as a business, what 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 what, uh, what allows that to happen? I think you have to execute. I think uh, restaurant business is about execution. You have to have really good food. You have to have really good drinks, and you have to have cold beer. And sometimes it's easy to slip on one of those things. Um, so fundamentally, I think you got to execute. I think uh, my mom had a little saying she used to say, she's like, what, did, what was it? Was he, you, can get a, you can get a burger anywhere, you know, why are they coming to your place? And you could sit at your home and watch TV and eat a burger, so why are they gonna go to Red's? I think they're gonna go to Red's for an experience. And we have to make sure that we're, we're protecting that experience, we're providing a great experience. I guess I'm not doing it down to three things, but it's experiential, it's an execution, and it's in reinvestment. I think that uh, a lot of restaurants, a lot of businesses get tired over the years and uh, it's really hard for ownership to put money back in. Uh, I think we've struggled with that too. I think, but over the last two to five years, we've reinvested in every single company um, from replacing floors to, uh, you know, redoing the walls to making sure that the, the experience is maintained. Otherwise you are the older restaurant and isn't as attractive and people don't like to do it. I think the other thing that we do, and Nate, you're a huge proponent of this as well, is we want to be a vital member of the community. And I think that vital means that we support the community. We're literally in the middle of the community, uh, center of downtowns, heartbeats of the space. And I think that that also is a separator too, because then you become ingrained in the culture of that community. And I think that we're very lucky that we've had success with that. Yeah, that's absolutely a key, key component is the community aspect and the culture and 
and those sort of things. And as you're looking at a new opportunity, obviously there's a lot of exciting things happening in and around Big Grove. The brewery is going to be open in a new location in Des Moines this summer, beginning uh, you know another new location in Eastern Iowa up in Cedar Rapids, um, in the Kingston Village neighborhood up there. As you guys are evaluating a new concept or a new opportunity, what really goes into that sort of arithmetic when it comes to whether or not the market's going to receive this, um, you know, obviously there's a pro forma and those sort of things. Like talk, talk through a little bit, like what goes into that calculus um, when you're thinking about starting a new venture, whether it be just an extension of Big Grove or an entirely new restaurant or concept. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's not a perfect formula, but what we do is, well, we try to identify the need. What is the need? What's the missing ingredient? We just finished opening athletic club, bioathletic club in the Isle River Landing. And uh, it was pretty apparent that, that there's not a lot of places to watch sports. There definitely are some, but there wasn't a lot. And it felt like there was a need, right? So we jumped on that as the opportunity. And I think that that's, you know, what's the need and can we fill it? And, is, you know, does the customer want to be served? Those are interesting questions to ask. And sometimes if you skip that part, you might be up the creek without a paddle. Because, yeah. you know, if they don't want to be served, there's a lot of communities that maybe don't want to go out to eat. Who knows? Um, and then I think we look at the financial side of it. Can we afford the deal? Does it make sense? Uh, can, we, can we make the deal profitable? And I think a lot of times we can. Um, and then is it time, is timing right for, for our personnel and our teams? Um, we don't typically jump into a project with having the right people in place. So we want to make sure that we're covering the bases on our top-level personnel and making sure that we can protect that location, whether they're partners or managers. Either way, we want to have the right mix of people, and it's – it's proven to work really well for us. I know you travel around a lot. You mentioned observing and understanding where the maybe market demand might be. Like if you were to take a magic wand and open one new restaurant in the corridor region, Iowa City, Cedar Rapids, like what what is the one <laughs> one missing piece right now in the whole oh, restaurant scene, the culinary scene? If you, you know, what do you what have you seen in other cities that you say, man, I wish we could one of these could pop up around here. Well, just knowing the, that you can't open them all, right? Yeah, like there's, personal, there's tons of other great restaurants that you aren't involved with yeah. in the area. Selfish viewpoint. My family, my mom is Greek, so I would love to see us have like a Greek Mediterranean restaurant somewhere around town because I would crush that food all the time. Yeah, I totally. I mean, there's there's definitely a good chunk of great ethnic food in in the area, but that's one of the things I miss from living in a big city out in San Diego is just the you know broader sort of melting pot of folks that are there and bringing yeah. their own unique cuisines in from uh from different areas it'd be great to see a few more of those pop up in the Iowa City Cedar Rapids area for sure um talk a bit about go, going back to Big Grove where and you know even back to the kind of traction EOS method like what is what's a big rock right now for Big Grove it's been a tremendous amount of growth I think now the breweries if not number one close to number one in the state in terms of total volume produced and sold or whatever that number is what is the next layer of success look like for for big growth yeah um well that's a great question we number one and most important right now is make sure des moines opens well uh so we're putting a lot of our effort into des moines and the opening there it's by far the largest investment we've ever made for the company um it's going to be a fabulous location a fabulous project but we want to make sure that it opens right and we're uh we're, we're a net positive of the community we're entering and i think we're doing a great job and with that, but uh, that's where, I don't know, some percentage of our focus is on that right now. From a distribution and sales standpoint, it's about understanding the data better, playing a little bit more like a big boy plays, you know, like your Anheuser-Busch's of the world, how they look at data, how they analyze data, um, where are the opportunities, what are we not seeing 
And like I said, we came from a restaurant background. And so manufacturing and sales on a manufactured good, it's all different game. You have distributors, you have like massive chain partners. You have a lot of different, there's a lot of different aspects of that. So identifying the gaps uh, and opportunities and making sure that we can fulfill them. So as we build out that, I mean, it's a trickle down effect. Every single thing that we do in that side of the business has a reaction. So if we increase our distribution by 10%, that's all well and good, but can you even make the beer? Okay. Can you even can the beer? Can you store the beer? Do you have enough time to make the beer? Literally. So yeah. those are the things that we're trying to analyze now. And I think we're going to make some big investments on our, on our capacity over the next uh, 12 to 24 months. That's going to help us make a lot of beer. I'm excited about that. Beer in general, but craft brewing is really a kind of a fascinating industry to follow over the course of the last 10 years. Everybody's got an opinion. You know, we've got our local Bush Light drinker. We all like a nice cold Bush Light or Coors Light at different times. We also all love, you know, a great Lions Bridge or a Big Grove beer or Back Pocket, name your favorite local state of Iowa craft craft brewery. But the, the industry's changed a lot. I remember being out in San Diego right when Stone Brewing was just getting going and they were making the, you know, the big craze then was these single, double, triple, quadruple IPAs with all these crazy hops and you know, you, you drink one and you can't even take, you feel your t- taste, your tongue, you know, like that kind of craziness. But, and now it seems like craft beers sort of cycled back to an appreciation for some of these lighter beers and lagers and, you know, Big Grove launched a seltzer line and all those sort of things. And I think nationally, you've seen this really fascinating advent of uh, non-alcoholic beer. Athletic brewing is a direct to consumer beer that's being produced where it doesn't have any alcohol in it at all and just absolutely crushing it from that standpoint as well so where is the next place that craft brewing is going to play and how do how do you at big grove kind of stay in line with or even ahead of those potential trends and how how do you bob when others are weaving and how do you stay up with the times well you, you 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 let your you let your smart people do their work i think is maybe the simple way to say it but uh, we got to let our artists uh, be artists. We got to let our people that create, create. Uh, we have to be aware of the trend. I mean, every time you open the newspaper or you read any any sort of news, it's, you know, half of it's about health and wellness, right? I mean, once you get past all the bad news, it's all health and wellness and how people are getting healthy and how they're focusing on that in their lives. So we certainly have to adapt to that. Um, doesn't mean we don't want to make, you know, full flavored beers. I think that's that's a necessity for the industry. I think that we have to adapt into to lighter styles and we got to be competitive and we got to push on innovation. So what's the next thing? I think time will tell. I think we're seeing a lot in the RTD, the ready to drink space, which would be like the vodka drinks. High noon's an example of that. We're coming out with one this summer. It's going to be a vodka strawberry lemonade. It's going to be really cool in a skinny can. It's going to be beautiful, uh, but we're trying to adapt. So we're, we're, we are working on the innovation side. We're pushing hard there, but, but again, you know, you can't, you can't lose track of what you are and you have to be able to, to know that it's going to change. And I would say that if you look over the course of time, there was a period where wine was on the up for 10 years and now wine's on the down, you know, beer's going a little bit down right now. Is it going to go back up? Time will tell. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, so, it's a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. The NA space I think is something that we're extremely interested in. I know everybody is, uh, we believe that, uh, NA can really fill a niche. And I, you know, I think about myself and Nate and I have had conversations about that, Nate. Uh, and it really boils down to, can you, cause sometimes I just want the flavor and I just want to drink a beer and I don't yeah. want to drink a glass of water and like that's, but I don't want to feel the effects. So most times I really enjoy the effects, but sometimes I do want to yeah. chill out. And I think that's going to be a huge thing moving forward. 
you've got the you know the Des Moines location, the tap room in Iowa City, the original location in Solon, other one for Cedar Rat. Like, is that what is the strategy or sort of the plan? What does Big Grove look like in the year 2030? What's the yeah. what's the goal? What's the the you know how do the, how are we in Iowa going to interact with the with the brewery here over the course of the next five ten years? Well, hopefully you have a lot of good interactions, and I and I hope that our team is thriving at that point. I mean, that's what is that? Jeez, eight years from now. Yeah. So that's a long time. Um, I hope that our team's still engaged, thriving, and uh, loving the brand. I think you're going to find that we we go deeper into to more styles, more interesting products to to keep the customer engaged. I think that you'll find that we you know are, I've filled out the state. I hope that we're the number one craft brewery in the state at that point. Um, and in craft segment can include things like Blue Moon. So we're trying to we're trying to to grow the company with our people. And I think that you'll see us have multiple locations throughout the state uh, that can really be in, that can really help their communities. And I hope that that uh, that ethos is what backs us and helps us grow. You know, a big part of the Big Grove brand, and you can see that when you walk into one of the tap rooms is just the people there seem to really, and you mentioned it, kind of love the brand, not only the customer, but the folks that work there. Talk a bit about what you guys do there from how you're purposeful about, you know, building the culture within your team and embracing people. It's, it should be fun, right? I mean, people are coming yeah. to a brewery to hang out and have a good time. And how do you, what do you do for your team? And how do you, and of course, everybody's talking about, you know, the labor crunch and uh, that's, you know, from a small business to the biggest of businesses, that's a, that's a big thing. But it, I know Big Grove, in particular is has better success perhaps than most on recruiting folks to to be a part of the team and work there and retaining them for a long period of time so what is is there a secret sauce or what are you guys doing at big grove i know it's a challenge there as well but um it seems like people there the workers got a little bit more of a smile on their face than uh name your other fast food joints or something as you go into there the, the, they just seem to be have a little bit better customer service yeah um yeah i mean i think the culture piece is huge now i think that everybody wants to get paid and they want to work for a company that cares. And so we're trying to embody both of those. Um, it's, it's uh, the culture piece is it's much bigger than it used to be. I think you think about restaurants 10 years ago is if you don't want to be on the ship, get off the ship, we'll find somebody else to get on the ship. And now it's, how can we make this ship better for you? And I think that's great. Um, we, we push culture all the time. Uh, I think some of the things that we do that are simple is that we have a pre a pre shift, which we'll call maybe it's like I think of like a stand up meeting before they go to, to go to work uh, to align everybody and, and we'll help them remember what our goals are and hopefully their goals as well. We try to empower our people to make changes so that we can grow and, and modify our systems fast so that their feedback is real time and we can make improvements. Um, we, we have a we have space for them to express themselves if things aren't going the way they want them to go or if they have thoughts or, or ideas. Um, we open with values and we close with values a lot. So when the person, our new per team member comes on board, we'll start with the values and we'll embrace that the whole time. Uh, and I think that we're just in our infancy of, infancy of how that's really gonna work, uh, live and breathe in the world, but it's gonna be special. That's great. And then kind of one last question, just thinking further down the line, you know, it's. So you're standing on the first tee box, you're retired, you're 60 years old, looking back on your professional career here, kind of shaping the hospitality, entertainment, restaurant industry in, in Eastern Iowa and beyond. Like what, as you picture your 60 year old self looking back, what, what needs to happen over the course of the next 20 or some odd years for you to have viewed your career as a success? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I did, I did this big exercise about, about that type of question, and it really it all boiled down to people for me. Um, I wanted to make sure that, that the people that were, we were around, they grew, they were supported, and they, they enjoyed their time with us, and hopefully, you know, were with us for a really long time and had a fulfilling career and a fulfilling life, and we had some little impact on that. I think that's – I don't know that I was as conscious about that goal as I am now, but it, it definitely is a high, high focus point for us. We want to make sure that what we're doing matters and that we are – provide a lot of value and I think that that I could feel really good about that that's great um we like to end these interviews just kind of some quick rapid fire questions uh -oh. you know yeah <laughs> this will be this will be some fun stuff but if given a chance other than being a restaurant owner brewery owner small business owner is there another profession that you'd like to attempt yeah you know I really like architecture I've always been drawn to architecture and design and I always I've always uh, been really interested in that so I think I'd I'd want to pursue something like that or, I don't know, general contracting or something. I like building and, and designing. Yeah, it's the fun stuff for sure. Um, is there, how about a book? Is there something that you're reading currently or a really influential business book of sorts that you've read? That Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the books we back into a lot is called The Culture Code. It's, uh, it's a book about business culture and how it impacts teams and the companies um, from Navy SEALs to Danny Meyer. To, there's a hundred examples in it, but... It's really, really well done. I think from a personal side, I need to actually reread it. Atomic Habits is a great book as well. Yeah. Two great ones. How about podcasts? Anything you're listening to right now that jumps out? Oh, man. doesn't uh, have to be business-oriented or a TV show or entertainment-wise. I know it gets a lot of crap, but I've been listening to Joe Rogan here and there, enjoying that. Um, he keeps it, keeps it entertaining there. He does, sure. doesn't he? Um, that's pretty good. I, I think that uh, there's a... There's a bunch of business ones out there that I like. Uh, Scott Galloway has got a couple that are really good. When you think about designing a successful day or having a day that's successful, what's one thing you couldn't live without in order to accomplish that during your day? I think I need to work out in the morning. Um, if I don't work out in the morning, I find that I'm a little bit off my game and I'm not uh, as focused as I want to be. That's been a more recent revelation. I know it's not business related, but it puts my head in the right space. And I feel like if I, I get up and knock one out before before my family's up. I, What's your I perfect like, ideal workout? What does that look like? <laughs> perfect ideal workout. 30 minutes of killing myself in the gym. And then uh, that would be probably a mix of cardio and strength and something that I I get done and I kind of have to sit on the ground for a minute. <laughs> Just wear yourself out. Quick. Yeah. I like it. Uh, if you had 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do? I would be more focused on uh, mindfulness, which is a really easy answer, but I, I would really take some time to think and then I think on top of that, I would, I would take more time to plan. I know your first question was, how do you plan out your perfect day? I would say that's one of the things I need to really improve on is planning out that perfect day because I want, I want to achieve, and I think that the more you get on, more on top of it you are with your schedule, the better it would be. Yeah, be more intentional and yeah. carving Simple that time answer, out to be, yeah, true. be that way. And then last but not least, uh, in one sentence, how do you define success? It's a good one. Uh, one sentence. Uh, one sentence. How do I explain? Uh, empowering others around me to be successful. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. You're certainly going to do that in your industry. There's, it's a people, people business, no doubt about it. But appreciate you taking the time and look forward to raising a bunch of Big Grove beers here in the, in the future. We'll look forward to seeing those new locations pop up across uh, Iowa and the corridor here in the next uh, year or two. So it'll be, it'll be great. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Nate. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you.
My thanks to Matt Swift for coming onto the show to talk about his real success. Make sure to visit one of his many restaurants and follow Big Grove on social media at biggrove.com if you'd like to learn more. I'd also like to thank this podcast sponsor, Midwest One Bank. Experience simply better banking at midwestone.bank. This podcast is produced by the LAS Media Group, located in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information on them, you can visit lasmediagroup.com. And if you enjoy this show, please consider subscribing and reviewing on your podcast platform of choice. It helps us to continue to develop and grow. Real Success with Nate Kading is a Corridor Media Group podcast. For more information, visit corridorbusiness.com.